Hello and welcome to Touchline from Kasper Els and Mark Cameron. Hello Mark. Hi Kas, nice to be here. Tonight we're talking Six Nations, some local rugby, the world rankings again and then the Lions Tour. Let's start with the Six Nations. Scotland, Italy, Scotland 52, Italy 10, Ireland, England, Ireland 32, England 18, and then France, Wales, France 32, Wales 30. Your thoughts, Mark? Well, the whole Six Nations was was quite interesting. Um, you know, all the rounds are basically done. Only the Scotland-France fixture that still needs to take place. Uh, that yes. one was obviously postponed due to COVID. Yeah. Um, but currently, Wales lie on top. But there's a possibility that the French might take take that first position after playing Scotland. And obviously, there's a few permutations there. They have to... Yes. Uh, score a bonus point and I think the points difference is 21 currently so they need to win by at least 22 yes um, and they have to score four tries yeah for the bonus points so um, but regardless of that um, let's stick to France we we there at the moment so with regardless to that this, if you look at France the way they've they've evolved as a side a young yes. side set their sights um, you know they 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 know where they want to go towards. Obviously, building towards the yes. World Cup in France in 2023, I think it is. Um, and they've had an awesome awesome campaign. Um, you know, playing against Wales, they were under the cosh a little bit, and they came they from were. behind. And and you know, but it speaks volumes of of the side, the character that oh. they have, the self belief that they've that they've developed. And you know, I think there's something special in that French side. It's it's not like the old French sides that depends on who pitches on the day. Um, I think the the management there have, have basically got it spot on. All the young players have bought in. Um, all the seasoned campaigners have have stood up to to the challenges. Um, you know, so I think I think France is definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with in the in the near future. But you also, if you look at the French players afterwards, after the game, the final whistle, the way they they reacted in winning that, that game, celebration. That celebration was absolutely phenomenal. No, I agree, and I think that's part of part of their belief as to where they want to go. Obviously, they had to come from behind to win, um, yes. and and it's a young it's a young side, you know. So they rely on not having setbacks yeah. um, because that's what motivates them, obviously. And I mean, you know, if you look at the penalties and the cards and so on and so forth, I mean, they had to dig deep at the end of the day. They did. Um, but all all credit to them and their kicking game. You know, with Floxel here, there, the kicking game has changed. Um, dramatically over the over the last season or so, uh, they definitely on the right way going forward. And and like South Africa, um, when we when we went to the World Cup, people didn't give us a chance either. And within a 18 month period of that, uh, Russia and them changed our processes and our thought processes and the self belief and that. And I think France is on the way, and they're going to be a difficult nut to crack in in the next World Cup. Oh. And then the Ireland England game, England. Nowhere to be seen, and now I see that Eddie Jones is um, taking the flak here. Yeah, look, sad reality. If a, if a, whether it's a club game or international game or provincial game, if the if the team does well, uh, the coach is never to be seen. It's always the players that that take them through. That's just how it is, unfortunately. And as soon as the team does poorly, then the coach is to blame. Yes, um, and that's how it is. Uh, look, you can't you can't look past the fact that 
regardless of the results, Eddie Jones is an astute coach. He, he is, is a good coach. He's, he's done well wherever he's coached before. Uh, he has done well with England in the past. Sad reality is that the English are, and everyone is saying it like that, are busy going backwards instead of going yes. forwards. Whatever the reason for that might be, yes, it might be a coaching issue. Yes, it might be a structure issue where players don't buy into it. I obviously can't vouch for that, but there's definitely a problem. You know, if you look at the Six Nations specifically, England is, or were, the defending champions. Yes. Um, and for them to end second from the bottom is very disappointing from an English perspective. Um, obviously, there's definitely questions to be asked. They've lost more than they've won. Um, you know, they beat two sides, I think it was, of which Italy has won. Um, and that's not your powerhouse team. A year and a half ago, or two yes. years ago, they played in the World Cup final. They played in the World Cup final. And from there, so, they just went Yeah, 100%. And down. I mean, if you look at the coaching staff that they have, they've got world-class coaching staff as yes. well. So what the internal politics might be, if there is, who knows, because that's obviously there. But they is going to be under pressure, unfortunately. But they've got very much the same players than what they had in the World Cup, playing in the final. So it's it's guys that's been around the block. They know how to win games. No, definitely. And, and you know, it's like anything. I mean, you, um, you might have the same team, but their motivation isn't where it's supposed to be or their self-belief isn't there anymore. And... You know, it, it go back to France now. They've got a young side. They know on the day that they can beat anyone. Whether they trail by five points or lead by ten points, they know they can take their game. Yeah. Whereas England used to be like that as well. I mean, when yeah. they played at Twickenham, it was difficult to beat them there because that's their fortress. they they passionate about what they do and pride to play there. Um, but there's definitely a problem. And, and you know, it, it's sad for the English. Uh, you know, if... if Let's go to the Lions tour quickly, not the tour itself, but from a selection point of view. If Warren Gatlin and whoever the selectors are had to select a side now, I think the least amount of players would probably come out of the England squad, and that's oh. very sad. Will probably be one or two. Yeah, very sad. If, so you, look at, if you look at Scotland, Ireland and, and Wales at the moment, they've got the bulk of the players. You know, and a year ago, we're going to go to Wales now again, but a year ago, the Welsh were battling a little yes. bit. And look at where they are now. They yeah. Currently, they're on top of the, of the Six Nations. Mm. You know, so there, there itself, it just shows you if you do get the structures right and everyone understands what they need to do. We can go back to South Africa again when Rossi took over. We played England. England, yes, we beat them 2-1 in the series when they were here. But, I mean, they ran rings around us. Um, they created gaps where there were no gaps because we were still struggling to find our defensive lines and whatever. But it's just a matter of time until everyone understands their roles and where they need to be and how they need to execute before they get there. The problem is the England management have been there for a while. Yes, they've added Matthew Pridefoot from a scrum perspective, but the other coaches basically have all been there. Eddie Jones has been there for a while. Um, now the questions are being asked and, and who wants to be a coach at that level because when you are appointed at that level you're expected to win 100% and then just uh, something that, that I noticed was the, the refereeing throughout all, all these games where the referees stopped for probably 2, 3, 4 minutes at a time to go through phases of a game to try and figure out whether somebody has scored or not scored or whether there was a forward pass. They they spend enormous amount of times going back and and look at footage to try and make a decision. 
And then at the end, it all depends on what your television referee says. Yeah, look, we obviously not qualified to to discuss that, but as per our show, it's opinion based, so we can we can say what we think. Um, the problem herein lies that you know you and I might not be the TMO or the referee, and we look at the same footage that they look at. Then you listen to the commentators, and they have their own opinion. The commentators will say definite try, and the TMO says no try, and the referee agrees. And then, you know, then you look at it like that, and you say, okay, now who's right? So I just by by look today, um, and I can't remember who it was off the topic now. Um, Nigel Owens uh, stated in one of the test matches, I think that he was a referee, and um, it also went to a team a TMO, and the guy was given a red card. Um, I read today that he went back and he said that guy should never have been carded. In the yes. first place, so you know it makes it very difficult. Uh, sometimes you do see it, and in the heat of the moment, you might pull a card or say whatever you need to say. Um, but you would think that with technology, you'd get it spot on. More so, as you say, four yes. or five minutes go by, and they see the same footage over and over and over. And herein, I think, could possibly lie the the, the problem. The referee asks a specific question to the TMO. Yes. So the TMO, for argument's sake, will get told, it is a try, give me a reason not to award a try. Yeah. So then if he sees a problem, he says, sorry, it's not like that. So um, it just depends on the question that is being asked. The TMO cannot make a different decision based on the question that, is, yes. that has been asked. So I think maybe that's, that's where it lies as well. But it is. It's you know it's frustrating for for the players themselves to see because I've I mean I've watched games where they show the opposition faces the players and there's a try being scored and the opposition know it's a try and then the referee turns it over then you could see the relief on their faces because they yes. know it should have been a try yeah. you know so sometimes sometimes it's blatant and it does happen but uh, yeah it is shocking and it shouldn't happen at, at that specific level specifically with with all the technology that's just available. from a spectator point of view you watch this game and there's like six or seven phases going going through and then the guy scores his try and it's a clear try that he scores but then they go back six seven phases mm-hmm. which is three four minutes of play with the play that they go back to and then there's a forward pass that he he clearly saw during the normal run of the mill, he saw that, but he let it go, and they they scored a try, which is a try, but then he goes back to there. As a coach now, purely as a coach, wouldn't you say that he should actually there where he sees something happen, that he should blow the whistle and stop it right there and not allow all those phases to go through? Yeah, look, sometimes I think if it's blatant and the referee sees it, directly then it then it's a different story sometimes that's not the case and as a coach um obviously there's advantage to be played because you're not sure of whatever the case might be as and as a coach if he had to call it back and it wasn't the case i would also throw my toys out the cart yeah. if it makes sense because yes. your team wasn't offered that op- opportunity when it was possibly good opportunity to attack you might have had space or whatever and now you come back and you can't score so yeah. I think it, I think it depends on which side of the of the fence you're looking at it, um, but it has its pros and it has its cons. Sometimes, if you look at the TMOs, the referee is busy playing advantage, and the TMOs in his ear foul play, yes. and he stops it. So yes. that is what you referred yeah, to, yeah. and then I agree with you. But sometimes, yes. if it's a fifty-fifty, 
um, like we've seen with a try for argument's sake, and you take the advantage away from that side, I think that's a bit unfair because they might just get the ascendancy. Um, so yeah, I think it's a 50-50, but when it's blatant, then I agree with you 100%. So let's get Nigel Owen and have a yeah, good hopefully. long chat with him. <laughs> hopefully we'll have him <laughs> in studio one of these <laughs> days. Um, and Jen, obviously just last, we go to the Scotland-Italy Scotland, Scotland Italy game. Um, she's in, you know, week in and week out, we speak about the same thing about the poor Italians. Um, if I look at this specific game points-wise, it's the biggest winning margin that Scotland have put past um, Italy as well. Yes. So for the Scots, obviously, that's a record positive. And the Italians, it's a negative one. And it's really sad to, to see, you know, week in and week out. And, and, and like Eddie Jones... Um, maybe not as bad now. Uh, so Franco Smith is going to be under pressure now. But having said that, though, um, that is the norm for Italy. You know, so how do you, as a coach, and I mean I'm a coach, and I'm asking this question, but how do you motivate your players week in and week out, knowing that that's a problem? You know, so uh, it makes it very difficult. If if and you know you you don't want to take them out of top tier rugby, um, like Argentina that have that have joined the top tier now in, in, in playing year in and year out. In theory that's the only way you can really develop. Yes. But I think, you know, if you if you look at the Italian side, it's demoralizing to to be beaten fifty points week in and week out and you know you're a national side and you need to produce. So my take on it maybe is to, to take a step back, um, not go down three or four levels or whatever, but just one step back in your even if they're slightly stronger than you in your area that you can play and get your winning momentum back, build again. As Franco Smith said, it's going to take him five or six or seven years to get there. But at what cost? Um, you know, that you want the players to play for their country. That's why they're there. I mean, you've got expats that go there as well, knowing that they can play. Uh, you know, you want expats like the CJ Thunders that has gone to, to Ireland to go to the Italians and to say, listen, I'm here for the next four yes. years, I want to be eligible to play. But I feel sorry for them because this competition is just too strong for yeah. them. That's the sad part. Well, two things, taking nothing away from Scotland. Um, Scotland's broken records throughout the Six Nations. Yes, I mean, starting with a game against England um, for the first time in 32 years beating England um, and now putting on putting up the score against Italy. I mean, mm. taking nothing away from, from Scotland this Definitely. year, they, they're a brilliant side. Mm. No, they themselves have developed quite a bit. I mean, they if have. you look in the World Cup, Gregor Trounsen himself was under pressure after the World Cup. Yes. Um, and, you know, with the Autumn Nations last year, it started. I mean, Wales last year were nowhere in the Autumn Nations Cup, and this year they're winning the Six Nations so far, you know. Yes. So um, the Scots as well, I mean, and they've, they've batted very cleverly. Um, you know, they've changed a few coaches. Peter de Villiers is their forwards scrum coach now as well. Um, so there's a few strategic planning points that, that took took place in, in Scotland. And, and it's great because you want them to, to perform at the highest level. Yes, for sure. Then going to local rugby. The last games, um, or last weekend's games, Lions 43, Sharks 40, which I believe was one of the, the cracker games. Uh, Bulls 34, Stormers 29, Pumas 22, Cheetahs 15, and then the EP Elephants going down 43-0 to the Riquas. It was quite a bad one. Yeah, so <laughs> so let's start there. <laughs> um, you know, yet again, you have a ex-Springbok coach that is now the head coach of the EP Elephants. Um, you know, he 
I think he feels the pressure himself now. Firstly, sure. obviously, there's your reputation that's at stake um, and all the other things that go with it. Um, obviously, he'd like to to develop those players and to take them forward, but, I mean, he's very vocal in what he has to his availability and where they need to go and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's like it's like any work you get given a position, that's your position you need to make with whatever you have. Um, part of what he has said, which is which I've been saying for years, is actually a brilliant idea. They need to go to the other franchises, whoever their players are that aren't in the running, yes. let's call the top 45 maybe, after yes. that, release those players to go and play at, let's say, the EP Elephants and, and give them development time there as well in that because you'd have more quality. So, I mean, to, to run shadow rugby at a training session, everyone can run at high intensity level. Everyone can do whatever. You can be conditioned, you can, but if you don't have it, you don't have it. If you don't have BMT, you don't have it. So, similar to Italy now, and, and, and the EP elephants are, are exactly there. So now you get whipped week in and week out. And I say this with respect to, to a team like Hrikwas, because Hrikwas themselves, when we know what they like when they play at home and when they pitch and they yes. can play, um, but they themselves have been battling in, in this preparation series. Um, you know, and for them then as a team like that that's been battling to put 40-0 past another side, then there's definitely questions. And if I'm not mistaken, the elephant side, there were numerous changes made as well going Plenty into changes, that team yeah. because Peter de Villiers isn't happy with their performances and so forth. But, I mean, where do you draw the line? Where do you stop? Where do you go? Who's your stop players that you go to to say, right, I know at least if I select those five or six players, we'll do a little bit better. Um, I think Peter de Villiers was also dealt a bad hand in the sense that when he took over, there was no rugby because of COVID. And EP withdrew out of the Pro 14. Well, Pro 12, I think it was, or Pro 14. 14. Out of the Pro um, 14, yeah. You know, so they haven't played for, for many for many months. And then, obviously, they lost players to other unions. Uh, so it's a rebuilding phase for them completely. And, and a guy like Peter de Villiers had to go in there blindfolded to now try and select players and think who is good enough. But uh, to play at that level, you need to have BMT. And he's got no names there. I mean, there's, there's no player there that you can actually say has proven himself at this level yet. But he might have some gems. Yeah, look, that is a gem area for South African rugby. Mm. So so they are definitely there. But, you know, it's like anything. He can take two players in there that still won't make a difference. You need you need a group of quality players. Yes. Um, and, and, and maybe some of those are quality players. They just need time to develop. And But, you know, you go back to Italy now. How long is time? Um, yeah. You know, you run out of time, you run out of patience and, and so forth. And then you look again and the coach is at fault and they need to change you coaching know, Rashi, staff. It's Rashi crazy. has proven that you can do it within eight, 18 months. If you've got the quality of player and yeah. and you, you've got your structures right, you can do it within 18 months. I agree with you. And, and you hit the nail on the head, quality players. So quality you players. To, you need to be open and honest about what you have to your available. It's the same as a game plan and whatever. So if, if for argument's sake, if you have quality forwards and you have no back line, then you're not going to play a running game because your backs can't catch and pass. So you're going to play a kicking game. Um, and you need to develop your game plan against with whoever you've got to play for. So if you look at EP, what do they have? How does he select a specific structure if, if there's no one to take the ball up and carry properly and so forth? So it's very difficult for them. If we now go to the Pumas 
cheetahs, pumas beating cheetahs, 22-15. Just talking about the pumas, a couple of years ago, they were also nowhere. And then Jimmy Stonehouse started there and he produced the Fuff, the Clerks and, and, and a couple of other players. He actually made them international players out of the Pumas. And they moved on to, to bigger clubs. So don't you think it is Italy and the Elephants do have those gems that they can produce proper or decent international players with? Yeah, look, I, uh, it's very different. Firstly, I want to say that if you go back to the Pumas, have you seen the size of their coach? So um, if you look at him, if you don't listen, I think he'll bash you into submission, so you have to play. So that's why they put their hands up and they become springboks and that, you know, compared to some of the other coaches that are a bit smaller than him. Um, but on a, on, a, on a more serious note, that I agree with you. Um, they... they I think structure is important and yet again if you have the backing of your union or whatever as to where you want to go. I look at the Bulls. The Bulls bought Jake White. He came over. He became director of rugby. He said, I want X, Y and Z and the Bulls backed him and they bought whatever he wanted and look where the Bulls are today. So from a financial point of view, obviously the elephants aren't close to the Bulls. I don't think there are many unions that can that can sit around the same fire as the Bulls from a financial point of view. Maybe they are, but their vision is slightly different, so it might take them longer to get there, or they might focus on different areas. Um, if you go international side like like Italy, I think uh, personally, I think there's there's definitely room for improvement. They might not be world champions whether in three week, three years time or whatever the case might be as. But um, I don't think they they that bad that they should be lying where they are. I think there's definitely something wrong. There's definitely a structure issue, whether it's within the union or whether it's within coaching staff or whether it's within player playing staff or where they play overseas and how they get back. Or I'm not sure where. Obviously, we're not part of that. But I think they are good enough to be better than that. Yes. I mean, if you look at Argentina, Argentina have developed and so forth. They also have players playing all over the world. Um, so I think there is definitely an issue. You know, if you go back to the EP Elephants, um, Eastern Cape is a, is a feeding ground for South African rugby, so there must be something there. Um, and I just think that obviously the, the funding there might be an issue as well. And, and sadly so. Many, many We were talking about uh, bigger unions releasing players maybe to go and play there. So there's a, there's a lot of... There's a lot of thought process behind that because now you're looking at funding so if they go to the EP Elephants and let's say they come from the Sharks would the Sharks still be funding them or must the EP Elephants take over um, you know so there's a lot of grey areas that within the unions that they need to sort out obviously but I think it's doable um, and I, I come back to South African rugby now if, if I think if we can release some of our players that aren't regular starters or squad players to the smaller unions like the Pumas and like the EP Elephants and even Griquas for that matter, I think South African rugby will be a lot stronger and we'll see more of our talent creeping through the woodwork. Then Bullstormers, your thoughts on that game? Yeah, it like like anything, I thought personally I thought that would have been a cracker, which it was if you look at the score. Um, you know, so what has obviously happened this weekend um, when they all played, your bigger your bigger union started bringing in their more seasoned campaigners as well. Yes. 
that would obviously level the scores a bit. Mm. But what you do see is, although whoever won didn't win by big margins and that, um, but the scores were quite big. So twofold, yeah. You can see South African rugby through this specific tournament have developed into quite an attacking force because our scores were never this high week in and week out in both teams. But you can be negative about it as well and say what happened to our defensive pat- platforms, you know. So, um, but the Bulls, the Bulls, you know, they are riding such a such a wave at the moment. And the Stormers, credit to them because they have also been nowhere in this in this. Um, but don't you think cup. the scores are also because there's nothing to play for? That the guys just play open running rugby and there's actually uh, nothing to play no, for. No, look, I I, I hear you, uh, but I mean, there's still pride that you play for and still positions that you play for so there's there's a lot of things to play for and and players won't just throw the ball around that's a that's a coaching structure and how they want to play and how they want to develop so you would see in some games there's not much running there's a more kicking in certain games because preparation cup is exactly that so we're preparing to go and play in europe and in europe conditions is more custom to a kicking game so um when you, we come back to South Africa and we play the European side here, yeah, obviously this is what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of more attack and less kicking. But, I mean, some teams like the Sharks, our kicking game is quite good. But our back, back three is as as good in, in attack. So we can we can easily switch from a kicking game to an attacking game. So, um, so is the Bulls. I mean, if you look at the Bulls of old, they used to play kicking rugby. Yeah. But um, strangely under – and I say strangely because – Jake White is very structured as well. He he plays certain parts of the game, but under him, since he's been back at the Bulls, um, they've started playing a running game, and and it's nice to see. The Lions Sharks game that was a a game of chess. That was a proper game of chess, where the Lions basically outplayed the Sharks for for quite some time, and then the Sharks just regrouped and started clawing back, which was quite nice to see. Yeah, it was. And, and look, at it again, it's a spectacle. And, and, you know, from a spectator's point of view, you want to see rug, running rugby, you want to see tries being scored. I think the, the coaches pull their hair out at times to think, OK, that's a decision that you shouldn't have made. But rightfully, as you said earlier, the, in this specific competition, there's nothing to play for. So this yeah. is the time where you can make mistakes. Spectators look at it differently, though. So the Sharks lost by, by three points. Um I looked at social media. Some say we had a bad game, and some, you know, from a coaching point of view, coaches try certain things at certain times, and this is the time where you try it. Yes. Um, you know, we had both. Both. It would actually have been nice to have both coaches back in studio. So Sean Everett from the Sharks and Sean Erasmus from the Lions, um, to chat about how they prepare and what they do and so forth. So um, if you look at if you look at them and 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 what they spoke about when they were in studio is the structures that are being put in place different competitions that, that bring up different things. And this is what we as spectators and listeners don't always understand because we look at the 80 minutes that they're playing and we think, what the heck is happening here? Why are they kicking so much? So from a kicking point of view, obviously we're kicking because that's what's going to happen in the, in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, attacking point of view, we're all trying to attack. I mean, we've seen some wonderful tries being scored from within your own 22 which is yeah. not tradition yes. and accustomed to South African rugby. We like to set up phases and create space and then attack. Yeah. Whereas the All Blacks and, and all the other great sides in the world, they'll attack from within their own in-goal area. And we've proven that we've got the players to do that. 
but there's no pressure, there's free reign, the coaches play what you see and, and go, and it's great because now all of a sudden you know that if you go slightly out of structure, you've got players to react to it and you can actually finish. Definitely. Talking about the Sharks now, um, I see the Sharks have got a, a new technical advisor or consultant in Brendan Fenter. Your thoughts on that appointment? Yeah, I think it's quite great. Uh, it's his second, I think it's his second, not, I don't know if it's second or third, but definitely uh, he's been here. So he's been here before, it 2013. Second, second stint at the Sharks. Yes. Um, and Brendan himself, he's an astute, astute coach. I mean, he was at Saracens for many a year. Um, with all our players going there and, and I mean proof is in the pudding I'll not talking of late and why it happened but I mean Saracens themselves are probably the front runners in, in Europe um, so I think from a from a Sharks point of view it's a very very good appointment and uh, we'll definitely benefit out of that yeah, I see Sean Everett's quite keen to have him here and to, to hear what he's got to say yeah, I think it's uh, it'd be great, um, you know, from from a Sharks point of view, the way we're going forward and and where we where we're looking at changing certain areas, um, you know, and and for a guy like Brendan to come in and to share his knowledge, I mean, he was at Western Province and as I said at Saracen, so he's been there, done that, ex Springbok player himself, so um, I think he's got a wealth of experience that comes into that side and, and you know, the coaching side of Sean Everett and company will definitely benefit with him there. They definitely will. And then the, the Sharks Academy appointing Dick Muir. Well, I think firstly it's brilliant. I mean, Dickie himself is, is an ex-Springbok rugby player and a yes. coach. He's an ex-Sharks coach, so he, he's, he's, he's an ex-Sharks player, so he's been through the mills in the Sharks. Um, he knows... He knows what it's about to to be successful. Um, you know, if you if you look at his coaching tenure that he's had with us, um, with various coaches um, in his private capacity, where he, where he does the academy, and I think to have a guy like him, um, part of the structures in the in the Sharks with the youngsters coming through, um, it's it's I don't know how they did it and what they what the thought process was, but for Dick to to accept that uh, speaks volumes for the Sharks and our vision going forward and obviously with with the new uh, sponsors that have, that have come on board or shareholders, if I can sooner put it like that, the MVM, um, we are obviously going places and, and I think if we appoint the right people with the right vision and pulling in the same direction, we can only go one way and that's up. That's for sure. In talking about the Lions Tour, I see the Lions Tour is back on track and South African rugby or Saru is trying to convince World Rugby that we, or the government, that we we need some spectators, at least 50% of the spectators back in the, in the stadiums to, to make this worth our while. Your thoughts on that one? Well, firstly, as they say, where they smoke, there's fire, so it's great. Um, I don't think the, the Lions Tour itself was ever in any jeopardy or anything like that. Um, I think they it did. was always going to take place. Yeah, but they did talk about moving it away yeah, from yeah, your other two. But it was always going to take Australia place. Australia so or back to England. I think what would have been a shame um, is if the Lions Tour was cancelled completely and South Africa wasn't part of that. I don't think that was... There were talks that they might... Yeah, I think there was question do. marks, but I don't think we were ever there to say, right, we're on the brink of, of not playing. I mean, South Africa would have been prepared to go and play anyway. I mean, we are the world champions and we need to 
we need to, well, by the looks of the, the logs that we'll discuss just now, I think it's like we're going to be world champions until the next four years <laughs> because no one's going to catch us the way they dropping and beating this <laughs> one on that side. So, um, which is also sad because, I mean, yes. we haven't played since the World Cup and we are leading the world rankings by, by far, um, which, it, you know, it's, it's actually a negative. It's a positive for South Africa, but it's a negative because, I mean, how is it possible? Um, but regardless of, of that, to come back to the Lions tour, I think it's great. Um, you know, if government does allow us to have 50% capacity at all the stadia, it would be awesome. The one thing is for sure, the Springboks have to play. And just on a more personal note, if you look at CJ Stander, that was part of the Irish side, he played in his last test match now on the weekend. How fitting would that not be for him to play for the Lions in South Africa and come home to South Africa? I think it would be fitting for him personally. Um, but you know, from a spectator's point of view, they only tour that specific country every 12 years, and it would be devastating if they can't come to South Africa because well, there's of some a, technical issue. There's a couple of South Africans that I think is knocking on the door to tour. Is Van Amerwe for Scotland as well? He's playing absolute brilliant rugby at the moment. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. It's good for him to play there, but it's sad that he's actually wearing the blue instead of the green. Um, you know, years ago, Same years with again with CJ. with all the things that have happened in the country and whatever it is. You know, Akari's brother played for the Springboks, so yes. whatever happened there that that he had to go overseas and play there, um, it's definitely a loss for South African rugby. I mean, he's a huge number. If you look at um, the I think it's the Six Nations. I can't remember where I read it now. He is the top runner for broken tackles. Yes. And then Hogg, his captain, is the second. The second player has broken 18 tackles and Panamerva has broken 30-odd tackles in the same yep. tournament. I mean, that in itself yes. is, a, is a massive gap between first and second. And then between eight, I mean, sorry, between the second one and the sixth one, I think there's four or five tackles between all of them. And he leads by what's it, 16 tackles or so for that he, that he broken. So, I mean, he's a huge he's a huge player. Look, he's new to the international scene, and uh, bless his soul, it's a guy like a guy like Jonah Lomo. I mean, when he came onto the scene, he was devastating himself. Big number. I don't think we'll ever see that again. Uh, big number. Huge respect for the guy. Um, but. Yet again, against South Africa, he's never scored a try in all his tests that he played. So, you know, when you come onto the scene, no one knows about you. It's it's probably easier to, to make a mark then. And when they work out what your weaknesses are, then it makes it more difficult for you to score in that. But, I mean, he's a machine. And it's, I don't know how it was possible, but we definitely missed someone there through the cracks. We definitely missed him. Staying with the Lions tour, um, speaking to my son this afternoon, um, he said he was so looking forward to go and watch a, a Lions test. And if we don't have spectators in the stadium, it means that we've got to wait another 12 years for any of our spectators to watch a Lions tour in South Africa. No, it's sad. You and I might not even be here anymore. That's our, our long 12 no, years Mark, is from now. Let's not, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. Yeah. My son actually <laughs> threw some ages around, and um, I just said, no, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, with, in, all, in all seriousness, it, it would be devastating. I mean, there's, you know, there's, you can watch the All Blacks, uh, which, is, which is a great test match. I mean, my sons asked me the other day in the world, where would I like to go and watch a game? Um, and there's many stadia that you can that you can mention that is great, but you have that opportunity every single year. 
Yes. Whereas the yeah. Lions, you only have every four years. Um, you Actually, know, so only no, every well, 12 years. In your specific country, yes. In your specific country. You know, but, so, no. um, but if you want to do it, that's, it's like a World Cup. It only happens every so many years, you know. So, and, and I mean, you know, like the players themselves, um, it would be a record or new or new era, I suppose, for for lines tours if they don't play in South Africa, because that would also be a first. It would never yeah. be that you play a, a, a team in a foreign country. Yes. So, but let's hope. Let's hope um, COVID doesn't get involved again with a third wave and so forth. I mean, so far South Africa is reasonably stable. With regards to that, I mean, club rugby is on the go again. We start practicing. Um, yes, there are there are the odd incidences all over the world still, um, but for now things things look bright in South Africa. So let's hope it seems to be working thus far. Then going to world rankings, you mentioned South Africa being on top. I know you love the world rankings. I haven't been this vocal in, in four years about the world rankings, and I suppose it is because South Africa is lying at the top, um, which is great. Um, what I what I want to mention is, if you look at the Six Nations, how things have changed there. And, and they've played around a little bit, obviously, with France, England, Ireland, and Wales specifically moving up and down. Um, but to go back to the world rankings, you know, South Africa is still sitting on, on 94.20 points. Um, New Zealand haven't played in a while now as well yes. and and they are secure for now on 88.95 then you look at France I mean, France have done so well in the, in the Six Nations um, they've now leapfrogged they're third in the world at 86.17 but still not leading the yeah, but it's, the Six Nations you know, that's how they work it well it could change now even more if they go on to beat Scotland in their next stage match because yes. the rest of the Six Nations are done um, so they could increase the gap between themselves and England that was after the World Cup lying second in the world. And they are now, they've dropped down to fifth. Yes. And I don't know how long ago England were that far down in the rankings, which is actually sad because they are uh, a, a proper international side. And, uh, you know, everyone is up in arms to see what is happening and why the coach is there and so on and so forth. But it speaks volumes. I mean, that's why these guys get, get paid to be there and they expect to get results at the end of the day. Um, and what I'm also saying, it's it's sad for a, for a country like South Africa not to play rugby. And it's the weirdest thing that you are still world number one. Look, the world championship you can never take away because that stays for four years. But the rankings itself, but it just shows you because we were post post World Cup, we were sixth, seventh in the world we were, as yeah. well, and we built up. and And obviously, you dominate and you and you start performing. And depending on who you play against, you get extra points and so on and so forth, which we won't go into now. So then, just to just to finalise quickly, if you look at the top top, top side, so the first one obviously being South Africa, second New Zealand, third France, um, fourth England, fifth Ireland, then Wales. Australia are still struggling a little bit, and then and then Argentina. Yeah. Making up the world rankings. Yep, and may South Africa stay there for a while. May South African rugby stay there for a long while. Yeah, may the Lions too keep us there. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for your interesting views on all of this. Thanks, Gus. Uh, luckily, it's only my views and, and not facts, as we said. We just speak from the heart and, and what we think and what we say. 
I must thank you as well for your interesting views and all the great <laughs> comments that you that you give. Just interesting views to entice you to say more. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gus. From Touchline, thank you for joining us. From myself, Casper Els and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week. <laughs>